This Bee Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate, so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K through 12th grade curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. If you want to bring IXL to your school, you can learn more at IXL.com backslash B-E. That's IXL.com backslash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, activity periods, RTI, therapy, and teacher appointments, and much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE. This is Dr. Karen, and you are listening to the DeFacto Leaders Podcast on the Bee Podcast Network, where I help pediatric therapists and educators become better leaders so they can make a bigger impact with their services. With over 15 years of experience supporting school-age kids with diverse learning needs, I'll share up-to-date evidence-based practices, my own experiences, and guest interviews designed to help clinicians, teachers, and aspiring school leaders feel more confident in the way they serve their students and clients. I'll cover a range of topics designed to help you support students' emotional and academic growth and set kids up for success in adulthood, including how to support language, literacy, executive functioning, as well as how to help IEP teams working together to support kids across the day. Whether you want to learn more effective strategies for your therapy sessions or classroom, be a more influential leader on your team, or find creative ways to use your skills to advance in your career, I've got you covered. Hey there, it's Dr. Karen from the Bee Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 122 of the DeFacto Leaders Podcast. In this episode, I share my conversation with Jill Fay from Eastern Illinois University on all things executive functioning and language. I'll just start there because there are so many different directions this conversation went. And both of us agreed when we started the conversation that this probably could be a whole series of episodes. So Jill is a licensed speech pathologist and professor in the Department of Communication Sciences and Disorders at Eastern Illinois University. She's also the co-director of the Autism Center and the director of the Students with Autism Transitional Education Program, where she develops and delivers transitional programming and social skills and executive functions for college students. So if you are working with school-age students, so working preschool through high school, and you're wondering what kinds of challenges students are still facing in college, you are certainly going to want to listen to this conversation. Jill has so many different stories about situations that pop up for kids when they go away to college and people in their lives don't realize how much support they've actually been getting up till that point. When Jill and I decided to record this conversation, we both agreed that this interview would be just the tip of the iceberg, but at the very least, we wanted to take a stab at illustrating how complex it is 
when we're thinking about how to support students who need services in both language and executive functioning. So we really get into how those two support each other, why sometimes you need to focus on one and maybe put the other one on hold just because of what the needs are. And sometimes you actually need to work on both. We also share our frustration with common professional development models like three-hour seminars and why it's so hard for people like us who are delivering this professional development to get to those actionable step-by-step plans that are typically being asked of us when we get speaking requests like that, especially as it relates to this topic. So in this conversation, we talk about how can we tell if students need work on language or executive functioning, what if they need support in both areas, and common things that come up. So why many young adults struggle to turn in assignments and manage their schedules, even if they've been given tools like checklists and planners common executive functioning skills needed for independent problem solving and goal-directed behavior, including things like ideational fluency and future thinking and a number of other skills, and how we as professionals want to consider someone's executive functioning profile and use this to help them and their family get an accurate picture of how much support they're actually getting and help them transition to being more independent. One of the frustrations that we both share in this conversation is how complex it is when we are thinking about what needs to happen in order to support kids' executive functioning, why clinical training programs have such a difficult task when it comes to preparing clinicians, and then why those clinicians, even if they've gone through a good program, have their work cut out for them when it comes to how they take that information and apply it in the systems that they are working in, such as the school systems. That is why I created the School of Clinical Leadership, my program for related service providers who want to take on a leadership role in implementing executive functioning support with their teams, considering what they need to do in their direct therapy sessions, as well as the training and support that the other professionals need in order to give students what they need. So to learn more about the School of Clinical Leadership, you're going to want to go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash clinical leadership. Now, please enjoy this interview with Jill Fay. Today, I am joined by Jill Fay, a speech pathologist and professor from Eastern Illinois University. So thank you so much for being here with me today. Good morning, Karen. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here and talk with you today. Yeah. And so I know that before we connected, we were just kind of surprised that we hadn't met before just because we have so many similarities in the work that we do. So I'm excited that we're doing this. We do. I'm really glad we're doing this conversation. We we spoke a little bit last week, and I know we arranged a 15 minute conversation. I think it went over an hour or close to. So yes, yes. Uh, oh, so many different ways we can go. So I thought that why don't we just start off because you have a lot of different roles in the work that you're doing. You have a really interesting background, and so why don't you just share a little bit about your your background, your history, and and what you're doing now. Well, I'll start with what I'm I'm doing now. I, I'm the director of a program here at Eastern Illinois University um, for students who are gained they've gained admission here to the university and they're intending to seek and earn a degree. That's their goal. And they happen to have a diagnosis of autism. And so our program, STEP, provides uh, support behind the scenes, mostly in the areas of executive function, self-appraisal and self-regulation, and social. Um, interaction. And I've been doing this particular role here at Eastern for the past three years. Um, but I, I'm a professor in the Communication Disorders and Sciences Department. And during my time here at Eastern, which is somehow it's gotten to be going on year 19, which I never thought would, that wasn't the original plan. Yeah. But um, in my time here at Eastern, I, I mostly teach uh, undergrad neurology. I taught that and a lot of the graduate coursework in acquired brain injury, traumatic brain injury, um, gearing students up for their transition into medical internships and then for work in the hospital. Um, 
And before I ended up at Eastern, I, I was a medical speech pathologist and I worked in acute care brain injury units for about 13 years. Uh, and that culminated in uh, my favorite role in the healthcare system was uh, working with high level TBI patients in a day rehab program. And the entire goal there was uh, there was an emphasis on transition from, you know, they're no longer in the hospital. Can you return to gainful employment? Can you return to some level of independent, self-regulated living? Uh, what will that look like for you? Will it be the same job or not? And how can we help you achieve your potential following that brain injury? And so that's always traveled with me and been a fascination of mine throughout the different aspects of my career. Uh, here at Eastern, on the clinical side of things, um, I ended up specializing in evaluation and treatment of adolescents and young adults. And sometimes the TBI was the medical, you know, underlying cause of their cognitive executive and communication disorders. But really over the last 10 to 15 years, I found myself working mostly with adolescents who have complex learning disabilities, um, autism spectrum disorder, and from there, really landing in the world of executive dysfunction mm -hmm. and um, trying to help parents navigate the world of here's a 14 year old and I'm going to this IEP transition meeting. What will the next four years look like for my child? Um, and sometimes it's the 18 year old who comes with their family. And sometimes it was the 22 or 23 year old where the goals and the hopes that family had maybe did not work out entirely as they had hoped. And so sometimes it was a conversation, a precursor to that shift into adulthood. Sometimes it was inside end analysis along the way. And so really all in all, everything kind of ties back to those years ago, working in brain injury, day rehab, and trying to figure out how can this person get the most out of their daily life and feel fulfilled in a way that is meaningful to them and their family. And so I really love the fact that now things have kind of come full circle and here I get an opportunity to work with young college students. Um, they and their families are seeking the same kinds of outcomes. In many cases, the students that we have in our program, sometimes those families really never had college in mind. It wasn't in the horizon for them. And um, so it's a very rewarding opportunity. It's very challenging, I think, because every day we're coming up against the, the potential that's there, the student's insight and ability mm -hmm. to regulate. And then their executive function, reasoning, language, and social tools they might have at their disposal. It's a whirlwind of a mix. And on any, any given day, you know, you just can't imagine how things can either fall apart or be a beautiful success. And um, that's a long answer to what I yeah. got here, but yeah. maybe it gives a little bit of context and some continuity amidst all the different things I've done. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense that executive functioning is this glue that holds things together because I, I feel like that a lot as well, where I am, it's almost like the opposite where I started off in early elementary school, just thinking about what, like, what the heck am I doing here? What's my role in a school setting when you have really more of a background in kind of the medical model when you do get your your training as a speech pathologist, even if you do have a school placement and thinking about the language and obviously making it educationally relevant and figuring out what do kids need in order to be successful, which obviously reading is going to be a big part of that. But always in the back of my mind was the executive functioning piece because it applies to the academic situations. But then as I've supported school practitioners from preschool all the way through high school, there's always this question of 
what's happening next? And are we teaching them the skills that they need in order to be successful as adults? And so I keep toggling back and forth between this bottom up and top down. And it feels like with language and executive functioning, it's always that back and forth. And I honestly believe that it needs to be from both angles where it's, do they not have the language processing skills to be able to engage in that internal dialogue? Or do they not have executive functioning skills to be able to, to do these linguistic tasks? And so, um, yeah, I mean, I just seen in this space that there's this constant debate of which one is it? Which angle do we attack it from? So what it's are a, your thoughts on that? <laughs> well, it's a messy sort of glue. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's you know, for sure. Um, a couple of things as I'm listening to you describe those challenges, um, you know, certainly sometimes I feel like the priority for a, a student uh, or someone that we're working with, sometimes the priority truly is facilitating their language development. Yeah. And and many times, sometimes more often than not, I've had families come with big questions. They've been referred to our clinic for an executive function assessment. And much of the time I am saying, okay, yes, but we need to take a step back and I want to look at your child's language profile very thoroughly. I want, especially in the adolescent, adolescent language skills and social cognitive skills are all ripe for yet another surge in development. And it is critical. Um, and so we have to think about, do you have complex syntax mm -hmm. to use in the service of thinking and predicting? Do you have robust semantic knowledge that mm -hmm. you can apply as you attempt to clarify or specify or differentiate your thoughts? What is that linguistic tool like for you? Because ultimately, if we ignore that, it, it's like saying, well, let's let's build, you know, a, a plant, but let's not infuse the plant with any of the the mechanics that one needs to produce product. Yeah. What, yeah. what would it matter? So, yes, yeah, sometimes I'm looking at language and sometimes the need is to shore up one of the many executive functions. And sometimes that means, for example, deliberately teaching strategic planning or deliberately teaching strategies for self-talk or mm -hmm. um, deliberately teaching the idea that let's generate as many possibilities or ideas as possible. Let's have ideational fluency. The messy part is that there is no one answer. Mm -hmm. And um, that is often what the people who work with students or young adults with executive dysfunction, that's the main question. What do I do now? And I feel as though I'm always giving a multi-layered answer. Mm -hmm. And I dislike that. And yet at the end of the day, the brain is a very complex um, organ that um, I don't think that we can, I don't think we can simplify the question, how do I help this person achieve their goals? That does not have one simple answer. Yeah. It's so challenging when it comes to educating the public and getting the information into the right people, because I have delved into this from different angles. You know, I've worked, I've done adjunct assignments and considered, do I want to be in the academic field? Do I want to be in the public schools in, in, you know, having an impact on leadership? And then with the business, it's the marketing side of you, like you have, for example, a Facebook ad and you have a short headline. How do you get someone's attention and you know, communicate that to them when it's all of these different levels of complexity. And I will tell you, the people who work in marketing that coach people like me to try to get my information into the hands of other people want you to oversimplify it because which one is a sexier answer? Here's this one thing that's going to make this big impact over here, which, yes, yeah, sometimes if there is one thing that is the thing that you need to work on right now, that can be the thing that gets you moving in the right direction. But 
you can't communicate nuance in a Facebook ad or an Instagram post or a Twitter feed or whatever. And that's how a lot of the work and information is being disseminated. And that's why a lot of families are being pulled in by these, you know, take this supplement and cure your ADHD or whatever, because it sounds so much easier than the real answer. It sounds so much easier than the real answer. And parents and educators, parents especially, are, are desperate for yeah. a tangible answer they can lock onto and employ. It makes you feel as though you're doing something productive. It gives mm -hmm. you a sense of movement forward. So it's a it's a terribly difficult question for how to educate the public. I I've lectured all over the country for the last, I don't know, maybe 20 years, trying to find a simple and easy way to explain what are executive functions, yep. what is their normal realm of development, what and which of those may or may not relate to language, if I'm speaking with a group of speech pathologists, mm -hmm. yeah. what about reasoning? The, the reality is, you know, one needs to understand multiple processes of cognition, attention, processing speed, working memory, language processing, social cognition, self-appraisal and regulation, the emotional processing systems of the brain, complex reasoning, verbal reasoning, nonverbal reasoning. One really also should understand the components of memory, how we retain, store, organize, mm -hmm. and retrieve information. And Never mind all of the different executive functions, how we inhibit or delay, how we um, strategize and prioritize, how we initiate and persist to overcome fatigue or boredom or uh, cognitive disarray. How do we engage flexibility mm -hmm. and adaptability? How do we pull all of those things together is is like a tangled mess. And we're really talking about the same brain, whether it's the, the brain of the adult that somebody in the medical world in our field might be working with in a brain injury unit, or you know the developmental differences in a brain of somebody we might be seeing in a school or private mm -hmm. practice. It's the same brain. And I think when we think about it from a neurological perspective, it jolts us into a different way of thinking, you know, um, I guess to simplify some of my professional goals, I've wanted to make an impact so that educators, parents, professionals that we work with differentiate between the student they might inadvertently think of as just being lazy, mm -hmm. not trying very hard, just not motivated, just don't care. There's a difference between the brain that is unable to regulate, unable to initiate, unable to predict, reason, compare versus somebody who genuinely doesn't care and doesn't want to. In my experience, most students really would like to be successful. Mm -hmm. They would like to earn verbal praise. They would like to have good grades. They would like to feel like they're capable and can be independent, you know? Um, so what can we do to understand where the breakdown is? I spent a long time trying to focus then on how does language impact our ability to plan ahead? Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and really my thinking on that now is the complex language, specifically complex syntax, allows us to express relationships between ideas. Yeah. Mm-hmm which in turn allows us to look at causation and implication mm -hmm. and condition. And that allows us to predict outcomes. And if you can predict an outcome or consequence, then you can begin to be strategic in your planfulness. And you can't do any of that unless you have a really well-formed semantic network of ways to depict conditions or to differentiate between possibilities. And so I'm really thinking a lot lately and worried about, from a speech pathology perspective, I'm worried about the impact we are currently able to make upon adolescent language development. Mm 
from there, I'm really worried about how in general, how any of us has time, Never mind that. How do we have time to dive into the world of executive function therapy? We don't yet really have a lot of great evidence-based practice, truly. Much of what has trickled down was originated in the world of brain injury literature. Mm-hmm. So yep. what what does it look like for the developing brain? And that question is different depending upon your underlying problem. And what is your executive function profile? There is no one good answer. And so when people want the simple explanation, and I land on the example of planners because it's a pet peeve of mine. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, you I know, we get into this. We will get <laughs> yes. And so, you know, uh every IEP or 504 plan that we see here in our program for students who are applying to our program, um, there's the dutiful, you know, listing of the student will use their planner. You know, using a planner sounds so uh, obvious. It's a relief. Everybody feels like, okay, this will be great. In my experience, it takes about two years of deliberate, intensive work for a student to be somewhat proficient in actively using a planner. Planners are so much more than copying down words from the board or writing a due date in it. Planners are an external representation of complex reasoning. Yeah. Predictive reasoning, very complex language, the ability to formulate and paraphrase, temporal ordering, comparison, the the ability to prioritize, but also the ability to update that and reevaluate it every day. It's a landing pad for the assimilation of information from the instructor, the syllabus, the assignment sheet, the slides, the lecture, the emails. It's like an amalgam of multiple things and using a planner does not happen overnight and it's not magic. And so, you know, that's just one example of the quick soundbite, the sexy representation of what you need to do to fix all of the problems. Yeah. And I, I don't have, I don't have a good answer for how to educate the general public differently or to help our colleagues help us and help the students. I don't have a quick, simple answer. I think the main thing is that people do not understand like people, and this is, this is important from the standpoint of getting people to understand the importance of executive functioning, because they're focused on these external things. The student's not organized. Their desk is a mess. They're not getting their assignment turned in. They're sitting there in class when we're supposed to be doing a writing assignment independently and they're refusing to do the work. And we're doing the sticker charts and the behavior charts and they're still not motivated. And I use motivated in big air quotes. Or the other thing is where I say, okay, well, we need to work on executive function. We need to use some put some executive functioning supports in place. And they say, we're already doing that. And I guarantee you that if you are still seeing all of those things, that you probably aren't getting real support in place because again, it's more, well, we were giving them a planner, but if they're just having them copy the what's down on the board, then you're not really teaching executive functioning and just a lack of understanding with the internal processes that happen with these simple day-to-day things that a lot of us do with ease. And that to me is where that whole misconception about the student is lazy. They just don't want to do it. They don't care. Come mm-hmm. in. Yes. I, I, it's, it's, it's a misconception that yeah. you can readily see how and why that occurs. Um, I, before COVID, when I was still really actively traveling around and, and lecturing, um, it got to the point where I stopped agreeing to speak for just two or three hours Mm -hmm. because it's not enough time to explain the complexities. And I, over the years, I felt that maybe my time would be best spent if I could explain all of those internal processes so that by the end of a day, the people who were listening to me could shake their heads and say, okay, I get the scope of the problem. And I do understand why it won't necessarily work 
to just tell the student to write this down and then it will all be taken care of. Mm-hmm. And yet I felt so helpless at the end of the day because it's not like I have easy answers to fix the problem. Yeah. Um, but I do think, I do think it's a win if if we as a global group of professionals, we're coming from various backgrounds and disciplines. I do think it's a win if we can understand that a student has to have some accurate self-awareness and self-appraisal. And that is indeed another executive function. And it is a very difficult one to foster. I work with a lot of students whose parents or teachers know exactly how much help and what kind of help that student has been needing and still does need. Mm-hmm. And yet the student themselves is fairly oblivious. I've had some students actually look at me and say, well, I've never had any help. So, you know, it's it's a big shift to, um, to try to build insight and self-awareness. That's, that's a key component of this problem. And I think if we can work on helping students recognize this is a strategy, if we can help students recognize, right now I'm giving you some reminders, right now I'm organizing this for you, right now I'm helping your brain sort these into a priority. If we can label the support in the moment we provide it, that can draw the student's attention to it. Um, You know, if we could also think a little bit about the futility of the phrase, well, can't you just tell them to fill in the blank? Yeah. Like, can you, have you thought of just, yes. Have you thought of just telling him he needs to double check the syllabus? Gosh, I've never thought of that. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Can you, have you told them how important it is that they go to class? Yes. Have you suggested that that he double check that he set an alarm and have you reminded him to, um, you know, be sure that he turns it in tonight? Yes, I have made all of these reminders and all of these prompts. But at the end of the day, if you do not have some reasonable self-awareness and if you do not have the ability to apply and execute the skills and strategies people are collectively trying to help you learn, then you are prompt dependent. If the goal is for that student to eventually be independent, then all the planners in the world are pointless if we don't help the student develop accurate self-awareness, ability to self-regulate, the understanding of the need and the ability to apply skills, to follow through upon, to monitor your efforts on a daily basis, Those are the three things that I think really undermine a student's potential success, especially here in the college environment where um, you can have all the program supports that you'd like, but you're there on your own the majority of the day Mm -hmm. where, you know, your parents aren't there to be sure at the end of the day you've turned it in. They're not there with you in the morning to be sure that you have everything with you. Um, those are the the big challenges that I see from an executive function perspective and leaping from, you know, uh, others regulating you to you beginning to regulate yourself. I wanted to take a quick break here and talk about the School of Clinical Leadership. As you are probably discovering in this conversation, supporting executive functioning cannot be done through simple worksheets and therapy plans. It is a marathon, not a sprint, and it takes a village. The village being, if you're in the school systems, your IEP team. And that's why I've developed the School of Clinical Leadership to give you the support that you need to not only understand what kinds of supports need to be in place, but also to give you tools for getting that support in place logistically. So to learn more about the School of Clinical Leadership, you're going to want to go to drkarendudekbrandon.com backslash clinical leadership. Now let's get back to the interview. You think about not only are people not aware of how much they internally are doing to self-regulate themselves, but then when you're working with someone who needs 
support, how much the person giving the support isn't aware of how much they are accommodating and doing for the other person and vice versa, where the student learns like this is just how the world works. People just kind of do things for me or they don't even realize how much is being done on the back end to plan. Like if you just put a checklist in front of a student, they don't know how much work did that person do thinking about what needed to go onto this list. So how would they even know that that's something that they need to be doing if they've never had that experience? Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious, like what, what it looks like when students are finally, I mean, almost, almost held accountable for having to do this on their own. Like what, what we can do earlier on to allow them to experience just what it's like to not have someone doing a lot of these things for them so that they realize the impact that it has on them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in the medical model, in in the rehabilitation world, there are some approaches. Sometimes we would talk about planned failure. Yeah. um, How to use that moment of failure as a therapeutic opportunity to allow that person within the bounds of reason, within safety. Mm -hmm. Right within the scope of what you and yourself, you, what that person can handle, mm-hmm. you know, but to allow failure within a safe environment, that's not going to be physically harmful or detrimental right. to their overall self-esteem, allow that moment of failure and sit there on it. Do not immediately come in and say, Oh, let me get that for you. Oh, you forgot. Oh, here I have it for you. We do a lot of preventing failure, thinking that we are helping when we prevent failure within reason, within what would be potentially age or developmentally appropriate, when we prevent failure, we prevent our prefrontal cortex from practicing the skills it needs to regulate us from within. Our prefrontal structures are geared to do things like notice, evaluate, monitor, appraise the success or failure of our prefrontal structures should be getting an opportunity to not only notice a problem, but then to inhibit and delay momentarily or for a long time while we practice things like, let me use language to describe this problem. Mm-hmm. Let me reflect on any prior experience, but often I don't have any prior experience because really that's when the prefrontal cortex comes into play the most. I don't know how I'm going to solve this. Let me practice ideational fluency coming up with possibilities. Let me practice linguistic organization and reasoning while I sort through these ideas. Are they relevant? Are they viable? Let me use reasoning and complex syntax to predict why is this all gone south in the first place? What what would be a reasonable approach to fix that problem? Meanwhile, your prefrontal cortex still must be inhibiting. Furthermore, that adult standing by or that professional, you're having to exercise great patience while you don't tell them what to do, while you Don't immediately say, well, that won't work. We need to figure out a way to have the momentary opportunity and the professional patience and time, which we don't have a lot of time, let's be honest about that, to let that person's brain work through the mechanisms of notice, evaluate, appraise, inhibit, consider, generate, evaluate, conclude, and then put it into some sort of um, specific behavioral plan and then to initiate it and persist with that. And then you repeat the entire loop. Let that person's brain then evaluate, how is that plan going? Is that going to work? Maybe what you're going to need to do is let failure occur the second time or the third time. That's when we're actually giving that developing brain a real opportunity. It's like tying your shoes or riding the bike. Okay. At some point we have to stop tying the shoe and stop running behind and, and, and 
it's going to be training wheels off. <laughs> the training wheels come off and, yeah. and you're going to fall and we're going to have to have practice falling and practice getting up and that's that's i think where we're we're sort of at you know it's a hard thing to be a parent i am a parent and i feel like there's a fine line to walk as a parent and um so i i don't ever feel like i want to just tell parents how to do your your parenting how to how to raise your student and i don't really ever feel like i want to look at educators and say this is how you do it all the time mm -hmm. but yeah. i can say this if we are coming in at every opportunity and preventing failure preventing disappointment preventing all the bad things i don't want you to be late i don't want you to fail the class i don't want you to feel get your feelings hurt i don't want you to yeah. have to struggle to overcome we're not doing them any favors and we're not doing ourselves any favors yeah that may be a hard thing maybe it is say, i mean well especially with so the anxiety piece that's another place where i've seen the chicken or egg argument because people will say well you have anxiety that's going to impact your executive functioning but what if you have anxiety because you don't have any competence and exposure to this situation and you're nervous because you think, how am I going to get through this? I mean, who would who in their right mind would not be anxious in a situation where you feel like you're clearly out of your your zone of competence? Where where I have seen some debate is with like when you have someone who's in the middle of yeah, again, using ideational fluency or using evaluation, they're in the middle of doing something that has multiple steps and you can clearly see that they need to adjust and that they need to survey the scene and look around. And you know that they're not looking at those things. You know what their, the next step is. And what do you do to remind them to use their strategies? What kind of language do you use? Do you tell them, like, do you get to the point where you do need to tell them the next step in, in the process? Or do you like, do you sit there and give them language to help them think about it, but, but not necessarily tell them the answer. That's mm -hmm. where, where I feel like the, the balance comes in because that's another example of where you could be doing the executive functioning for kids. If you just tell them the steps. But sometimes you do need to tell people steps in a process. Like when you learn how to do math the first time, if nobody teaches you how to do it, you don't know the steps. You don't know how to do it. Yeah. But where do you get to that fine line? So I use a queuing hierarchy whereby initially you're giving a, a, a bit. So um, you might be asking questions like, so what are you working on? What's your goal? And I want to know what that person is thinking about. I want to know whether they have a specific targeted goal in mind. Okay. Mm. Uh, I might ask a question that would prompt them to evaluate it. So how's it going? Um, and then I, that gives me a window into their ability to accurately appraise and evaluate. I might ask them, uh, well, what's, what part of this are you on right now? Um, so that I can hear a little bit about the way they might be breaking down their mm. approach. Um, but that might be for somebody, if my, if my goal for that person is task monitoring and task evaluation, then that might be the emphasis. Maybe, maybe for a different person, my goal for them is that I know they have they don't know what to do about the problem. They can describe the problem. They can tell you it's not going well, but they can't move through it because they cannot generate options and possibilities. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's a different profile. Maybe for that person, I'm trying to elicit linguistic information. So I don't care whether the ideas are viable. I just want volume. I yeah. want lots. Of, this is when, you know, if we go back to an earlier version of you know, language processing, you know, what are, can you name as many different kinds of farm animals? You know, can you name as many different mm -hmm. kinds of fruits as you can? I'm doing the same thing. What are all the different ways you could think of that we could solve this? Or what are all the different kinds of materials you think you might need for this? And I really don't care yet. I'm not going to go, I'm not going to indicate 
that doesn't work. I want volume. Or maybe, maybe there's a different need, you know, because every profile varies. Maybe for somebody else, that's a student who can identify the existence of a problem or a challenge. They can articulate the expectation. They can evaluate whether or not they've been able to approach it accurately or, or at all. Maybe this is a person who can also give a lot of ideas and they can even land on the one they feel somehow is probably the most viable. This is great, but yet they are not able to, to execute. So you have people in that person's environment who are still saying the same thing. Well, you don't follow through. Sometimes I don't know whether I need to deal with it linguistically or from a reasoning and cognitive perspective or the executive function perspective. And on a daily basis, you know, really here in this particular role, I'm I'm trying to, I guess we're trying to juggle all of it. Yeah. Um, it, and it I think, oh, I was going to say it gets challenging from a programming standpoint because people want therapy materials. They want printouts and curriculum. And I know I can't give them that. They want, they're like, let, let me leave every single time I'm asked to deliver a session. I, I have the same dilemma that you do. I was, I just shared, we were talking last week about, I gave a, just gave a six hour presentation and I feel like I got through the syntax part. We were on a roll and then I switched and said, okay, now we're going to talk about executive functioning. And I kind of feel like, wow, I, it's hard to do. It is really hard. And it's hard to talk about language and executive functioning and hit all the components. And everybody always wants tangible strategies that they can go implement on Monday when they go back to therapy. And oh my gosh, I remember in my in my course, again, I've tried to figure out, let me just give you something that'll work that will allow you to at least get started with something that allows you to have some flexibility so that you can make those changes when kids have a different profile, but at the same time narrows it down because you you don't have time to plan for all these, you know, start from scratch for every kid. And one, one person, the feedback was, well, you know, I found that when I sell products, people like to, you to tell them step-by-step. Step, first five minutes of your session, do this, then do this, then do this. And then they want to see <laughs> me doing therapy. And I'm like, I can't tell you step-by-step step what's going to happen in your 30-minute therapy session. I need to give you a framework and allow you to use some problem solving. I've kind of, you know, and again, with all the evaluation tools that SLPs have to use in the school systems, a lot of times I'm like, let me just give you a framework for therapy and you can use that as part of your evaluation so you can figure out all of these things, you know, figure out the profile because people want the, people want the number and the assessment and the the curriculum and the plan. That's what they want in the schools. I think and what we're looking at, I mean, I guess maybe the simplest thing is to say what we're really wanting is some way to say your ability to solve complex daily problems has improved in some way. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what I, I'll show clips of myself doing therapy. Um, and often what we're watching is me not doing anything. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. It's like, you're not really going to see much if I'm you know, doing my job or, or not seemingly not doing anything. But, but one point is that I, I feel we need to do actual problems. You can create a bank of tasks. They should be novel. That is unfamiliar. The problems should be complex. You need to have a, an outcome. I want you to build a dam of water that keeps the two sides dry in this plastic tub uh, without such and such. Or I want you to build a device that contains this egg and we're going to drop it off the second story and you need to be sure that the egg does not. Your mission is to prevent the egg from cracking using only the materials available to you. Okay. So it's, it's interesting. It's engaging. It's fun. It requires the exploration and the assimilation of materials. It requires your own novel thought. All of the ingredients are there to challenge your language, reasoning, and executive function tools. And, and you, you facilitate the, 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 maybe that person needs to work on idea generation or planning or monitoring, or maybe they can't predict the tools are there, but your goal isn't to get this egg protection device built in 30 minutes. You might work on building an egg protection device for 
two weeks. Yeah. Because the point is not to hurry up and get it done. The point is to give the brain an opportunity to use language, to self-talk, to generate ideas, to organize the ideas into verb-based thinking and statements, to prioritize, to predict an outcome, to then initiate, to evaluate, and to repeat the entire process. That's, that's you know, and that's a hard thing to do. I will often give examples of visual and graphic organizers at the end of a lecture because people want them. But by then I'm trying to make the point that you can make up anything you want to help someone organize ideas. You can make up anything you want to help them break their day into time-ordered segments. It's irrelevant in and of itself. If we aren't therapeutically behind the scenes facilitating the the syntax, the comparison, the prediction, the planning, and the self-monitoring. They both go hand in hand. And so yeah. I I understand the the request for I've had it as well. Yeah. Um I don't know that there's a good answer for that. And to be honest, you know, uh Aunt Betty could do that if you if that's what we really want. The yeah. neighbor lady down the street can do that. We are supposed to be thinking we're supposed to use our executive functionings as clinicians. Our, we're supposed to use our clinical analysis and insight to yeah. determine the reason for the functional breakdown and then tackle that accordingly. Yeah. I wonder, so this is, and this is another thought and something that comes up in the school specifically where there's the idea of different, of, you know, co-teaching and push in or different doing. So there's the therapy setting, the pullout setting, and then there's the collaboration piece and communicating with the other people on the team to make sure that they're carrying, you know, working on these other skills. And then there's the piece of, okay, we're prepping kids for a situation. And then now we need to let them go and do the situation. And like, where do you see that, the programming needs as far as what needs to happen in therapy and then what needs to happen in the real world for them to go practice. And like, how does that look? I mean, that's a, that's a hard question. I think from the speech pathologist viewpoint, I would love to see us just really doing a, a, a fabulous job with complex language, you know? Um, and by that, I mean the syntax to explain, conditions and relationships and order and outcome and reasons why um, and to combine ideas and to clarify. We really need that to be solid. I would love for every school to have its own dedicated executive function class. I think that, you know, there's much to be taught in the way of strategies. We really do need to be able to deliberately teach certain executive function skills and strategies. It takes a lot of practice to become proficient with a planning strategy or an organizational strategy or self-talk to self-monitor. Those are skills and strategies. And I think that we would be doing a great job if we could provide that for all students. Then I think I think we need to branch out and communicate more effectively with our colleagues. Mm-hmm. You know, people inadvertently are doing, they're doing their very best by helping or cueing or prompting, but not realizing that at some point we're preventing the brain from putting into practice whatever skills or strategies we're trying to teach. So that would be a third thing to help all of us be on the same page and understand um, what is our goal. Is our goal to hurry up and get this work done. So let me tell you what to do. Mm -hmm. Is our goal to help so much that the student kind of moves along and passes through? Is our goal to stand back a little bit and start removing that direct immediate prompt so that a student could take the EF skills they might've been learning and put them into practice? What if we sat down at the table at an IEP meeting and had a conversation that included when are we going to jump in and cue directly? When are we going to lay back a little bit and see if we can ask and prompt the student to use their particular skills, to use their strategies? And that means everybody on board. That means here are the moments we don't have time and we really need it's a high stakes moment. Get it done. Here are the moments we're going to work on practicing. And it might be messy. It might be sloppy. There might be some breakdown. That's the other thing I often say to parents. How much breakdown and failure are you capable? And do you think your student is capable of navigating? 
-hmm. How much failure do you feel that you and or your student can tolerate? You know, when you get to the college environment, we're not, I'm not there with you every day. So, you know, um, I had a parent once say, well, what will happen when they forget to turn something in? Yeah. They will forget to turn something in. Can't you make sure they do that? No, I cannot. Um, so I think that it, there's a lot of opportunity for our educational system to to grow in this area. And I think it benefits everybody. It's not just a, a, the benefit to that particular student. I think what we really need right now, we need to help. We need to help bring critical thinking, self-regulation and complex problem solving to the forefront of our thinking. I worry a lot about students who don't get enough real world practice to be strategic. I worry about students who don't get enough real world practice to experience implications. Like I grew up on a farm and I would go to the woods and play and I would build things and uh, I could see how to bend small saplings into some kind of a structure. Or, uh, you know, when I was nine, I my sister was born and at, at times I was suddenly put in charge of a baby. Not that I'm advocating for that, right? I'm just giving examples of, yeah. of opportunity. And I think that, 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 that worries me a little bit. I think sometimes we have a high tech world and students have a lot of opportunity to look at screens and swipe. And that's not really giving them an opportunity to experience how things work and to think mm -hmm. about how to navigate the environment and how to regulate themselves. So, yeah, I mean, I think I would imagine that, I mean, if you have a screen in front of you and that's an immediate gratification, you don't, you don't have to use a lot of those skills. You don't have to experience that discomfort of or failure that you would if you were to go out and you know i think about the, when you think about online it gives you access and ability to interact and i use interact very loosely because it's online it's like easy access you don't have to navigate the same situations and think about how do i go up and approach and start a conversation with a person and figure out how to navigate this back and forth in the moment versus commenting on something where it's a little bit more safe and contained or it feels that way. And then you have to go to a work environment where you all of a sudden have to do all of those things and you have no experience with it. In a technological world using, you know, interacting on screen, the camera is dedicated for you. Like right now, our, we're speaking via Zoom and, yeah. you know, each of our cameras is focused on the other person. So I don't have to look around me and evaluate the environment in a real sense. I don't have to um, figure out what to do when I can't locate that office or there's somebody already there, but it was actually my turn for my meeting. Can I read that situation? Will they be done soon? Should I wait in the hall? Maybe they forgot. Would it be rude if I knocked on the door lightly and poked my head around the corner? Maybe, yeah. you know, what do I do? Or, or, or. Um, am I here at the wrong time? Is this my my situation? None of that comes up in a in a in a world like Zoom. And you know, sometimes it's great practice, possibly for you know, in in certain kinds of video game. And I don't really want to go into that whole dialogue. That's a big conversation. Uh, but yeah, you yeah. know, but 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 sometimes I worry that. Um, the the consequences or the complications are all virtual. They don't really matter when you turn it off and walk away. You know, you just go back to whatever there is in your reality. And I think in any way that we can help students get practice in their reality, in their environment at large with situations and people and requirements, and complications. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of kids will probably need that nudge. They're not going to want to do it. I think that's really hard for parents to say, you know, we're not going to sit on screens all day. We're going to go do something else where you can have other experiences. 
It's I mean, that's very, very challenging. Very difficult because then you have to deal with, you know, parents are tired. You're working. You have families. You have obligations. You have kids. You know, at the end of the day, sometimes the last thing you feel ready to do or even want to do is is fight that battle. So, yeah. Well, and then again, it's what are the other parents of your 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 kids? Um, what are their peers doing? And then you have that too. Like, what if you're the only parent in the peer group who is saying you need to bring the phone down at a certain time, or we're not going to have access to video games and you're not going to go on your gaming device for three hours this evening. Right. Right. So yeah, it's a, it's a big problem. Yeah. Well, challenge. Oh, I feel like we could keep going with this, but, um, but yeah, I love, I love to just dive into this topic. There's so much to it. Um, yeah, there's so many different, so many different places we can go, but where, if people want to learn more about, about you, what you do, where can people go to connect with you? Right. Well, um, the program that, you know, I, we have here at Eastern is uh, EIU.edu forward slash step forward slash, or, you know, if parents are thinking a little bit more about possibly whether their student might be a good fit for our program, step at EIU.edu. Yeah. Well, I think um, something we didn't get into today is just the idea of preparing clinicians to work with this. And I know that you have at Eastern a lot more of a, just with your background, you know, I remember I got a little bit of executive functioning in my TBI course that was an elective, not even a required course. So I just, you know, there's, there needs to be a whole section on it and how to, how to work with it. And I think that there also needs to be forethought in logistically from a programming standpoint, how do you, how do you do this with your team and get everybody on board with the other things that need to be happening? So, Absolutely. well, it's partly because you have, we have so many different areas and partly because you give this curriculum and then you know what kind of system the clinicians are going into and what they're feasibly going to be able to do within that system. And so there's that part of it too. So I tell my students, there won't be an easy solution to this in the next five years. And it will probably be throughout your entire professional career that you'll be executing some specific changes. Um, yeah. So. Well, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you so much. You're you're right. I feel like I could talk about this um, for a, a quite a long time and there's much to say, but I really appreciate getting to talk with you about these things today. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to check the show notes for all of the places you can go to connect with Jill and learn more about the programs that she's involved in. Also, I'm going to include a link to her article from ASHA Perspectives titled Assessment of Executive Functions in School-Aged Children, Challenges and Solutions for the SLP. It's available online, and I think it will be useful to you whether you're an SLP or someone else on the IEP team who's supporting kids. Next, don't forget to check out the School of Clinical Leadership. As you are gathering from this conversation, this is such a complex issue, and that is why I've set up comprehensive support to address it in the School of Clinical Leadership. So to learn more about that program, go to drkarendudekbrandon.com backslash clinical leadership. In this conversation, we talked a lot about SLP-related things, but this program is actually for anyone who is in that related service provider role, social worker, psychologist, speech pathologist, counselor, occupational therapist, or really anyone else who is providing some kind of intervention in the school systems. Again, that's drkarendudekbrandon.com backslash clinical leadership. Before I sign off, I also wanted to remind you to check out some of the other shows on the B Podcast Network for educators. So if you are involved in educational leadership and reform, and you want to know how you can be a better leader and be involved in making a change in the way that services are delivered in the education systems, just go to B Podcast Network for more information about all the shows on the network. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next time.
Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments without just teaching to the test? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com backslash BE to learn how IXL's research-based teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com backslash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into the master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out My Flex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE.